This is an AMI podcast. Hey, this is Ramya Muthan, co-host of Kelly and Company on AMI Audio. Our show is all about bringing people together in conversation. Whether you live with low or no vision, have mobility challenges, or are an ally, everyone is welcome. Join the conversation. Subscribe to Kelly and Company wherever you listen to good podcasts. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is the Pulse. Photographs are a powerful tool to capture environments, people, and situations at key moments in history. COVID-19 is one of the most historic events in the last 100 years, affecting people all over the world. Recording history is not without bias. Often, history is recorded from the perspective of able-bodied people. The equally fascinating and relevant history of people with disabilities is simultaneously overlooked. Photographing people with disabilities and recording their lives for posterity is an important effort to understand their experiences during the pandemic. Moreover, examining COVID-19 through the lens of disability can shed light on previously unexamined ideas. Today, we discuss photographs of blind and partially sighted people during the lockdown in Italy. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joyita Gupta and I'm the host of the program. It is so wonderful to be with you today. And I just hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're staying safe during the pandemic. I wanted to remind you, as I do off the top of every show, that you can visit ami.ca forward slash COVID-19 for the latest segments dealing with the pandemic from all of our daily live shows. So a while back, while I was scrolling through Twitter, I came across a fascinating article in the BBC. I'll make sure I put a link to it on the blog. In this article, they talked about the work of an Italian photographer, Stefano Sprulli, who had decided to take candid photographs of blind and partially sighted people during the pandemic. My first reaction was, wow, I wish I thought to do something like that. Or even better, wow, I wish someone had asked me to pose for a photograph like that, because it is such a historic moment. And it's wonderful that someone thought to capture the lived experience of people who are blind or partially sighted during the pandemic, especially in Italy, where they had such a severe lockdown. Of course, right off the top, I found myself at a bit of a disadvantage, and I thought about a way to try and describe the pictures, not only for my benefit, but for everybody else's. So what we're going to do in the set is that in a few minutes, we'll be talking to Stefano Sprelli. But first, JJ Hunt, who you might remember from Talk Description to Me, the co-host of that podcast, was kind enough to deliver some descriptions of Stefano Sprelli's photographs. So first, I'm going to throw to JJ, who's going to tell us about some of these photographs. Take it away, JJ. The following descriptions are of digital color portraits taken by photographer Stefano Sprulli. Each photograph is titled with the subject's name, age, and place of residence. Lucia, 55, Rome. A woman with her hands in the pockets of her blue coat stands on a makeshift dirt path that cuts through a field of tall grasses and wildflowers. With her back to us and a blonde dog at her side, she faces a series of uniform mid-rise buildings in the distance, toward which the path presumably leads. 
Overhead, white clouds filled the pale blue sky. Twins Lorenzo and Francesco, 13, Rome. Two white teenage boys in t-shirts sit in profile, facing a window at our left. The room appears dark, but bright light shines through the window, falling on their faces and casting shadows of the window frames across their torsos. The boy furthest from us sits with his head hung, while the boy closest to us keeps his chin raised and his eyes closed. Simona, 35, Rome. A white woman stands in three-quarter profile, depicted from the waist up, facing our left shoulder. She wears her long black hair tied back, an olive green shirt, and a blue purse at her side, with the strap cutting diagonally across her chest. She holds a thin cane vertically with two hands, both of which are clad in milky white latex gloves. A blue surgical mask covers her nose and mouth, and round mirrored glasses cover her eyes, reflecting the frames of rectangular window panes. Ittore, 50, Rome. In a small white-walled nook, a white man sits in shadow on a sheet-covered chair, backed by a high closed window. His hair is trimmed, the sleeves of his button-down shirt are rolled up to his elbows, and his legs are uncrossed. He faces us with his head tilted toward our lower right, and his eyes closed, stroking the black-and-white cat that lounges across his lap and forearm. Marco, 31, Rome A white man in a white and blue graph-check button-down shirt stands in three-quarter profile, facing our right, depicted from the chest up. He has close-cropped black hair, closed, deep-set eyes, and a high forehead. Golden light washes over his face and the pale blue surgical mask, which covers his nose, mouth, and chin. Matteo, 32, Rome. A curly-haired man in a t-shirt sits on a couch, leaning over the thick upholstered arm to kiss the large, seated dog gazing up at him. The man and his dog are largely silhouetted by a standing lamp with a thin, turned wood column, which casts a triangular pool of light on the white wall behind them. Camilla, 35, Rome. Dressed in a white t-shirt with capped sleeves, a thin woman with long, straight hair stands at a sheer-covered window, turning back to us over her right shoulder. Framed by a low ceiling, or perhaps a window valance, the sheer curtains glow with soft white light, casting the silhouetted woman in shadow. Angelina, 90, Santa Marinella. An older white woman with an impish, closed-mouth grin, deep smile lines, and round cheeks, faces our right shoulder with her eyes closed. Depicted from the chest up, she stands against a rose-colored wall, wearing her graying hair short and a blue collarless blouse with repeated patterns in cream and faded orange. Ariana, 31, and Stefano, 45, Salerno. In this close-up image, a white man in a short-sleeved blue and white gingham shirt reaches behind his back to hold the small, pale hand of the woman walking behind him. The woman's arm enters the image from our lower left, bejeweled with a silver bracelet and a ring with a large square stone. The man's shadow is cast on the blurred ground beneath them, 
falling on a paved path beside a leafy lawn. Antony, 31, Rome. A man in a black graphic t-shirt, blue pants with yellow stripes down the sides, and dark running shoes, stands in a dimly lit paved lot, backed by a treed space in shadow. Wearing a thick, dark beard and tattoos on both arms, he holds a white cane vertically with one hand. In a three-quarter profile facing our right, he stands with his shoulders slumped and his hips slightly forward. Well, thanks a lot, JJ. That was so descriptive. I could really see it in the mind's eye, as it were. My guest right now is award-winning photographer, director, and visual designer Stefano Sprulli, who's based in Rome, Italy. He joins us now to discuss his work. And there's a bit of a twist today. This interview is being translated simultaneously from English to Italian and vice versa. Stefano, welcome to The Pulse. It's great to have you. Thank you very much for the invitation. The pleasure is all mine. Stefano, tell us a little bit about life for people in Italy during the lockdown and the pandemic. Everyday life in Rome was very, very difficult. I lived in my small apartment together with my partner. I was actually one of the lucky ones because I was able to continue working throughout the lockdown. But it was definitely, definitely very, very difficult. Can you tell us about what inspired you to take pictures of people who were blind or partially sighted and their lives during the pandemic? During the quarantine, I contacted my colleague, she's a psychologist, and because the fact that she is a psychologist, it helped me to kind of categorize which were the most difficult disabilities. And how did you find people to participate? How did you come across blind or partially sighted people to be part of your project? So it was really quite easy for me to contact people. For example, one of the people that I contacted, one of the people that appears in the photographs by BBC, is my aunt, Angelina. She is the oldest one of the photographs. And then again, with my colleague, my psychologist colleague that I mentioned before, she put me in contact with Ariana and Stefano. They are also in the photographs. They're the united hands in the photographs by the BBC. And then uh, going forward, it was like kind of a waterfall effect. I also contacted some associations, and uh, that's how I was able to find the people. So one of the participants is your aunt, but tell us about some of the other people. Did you have mostly men or women? Were they older or younger? Were there any children? What can you tell us about the people in the photographs? I structured I structured my research project. This was an actual research project in a way that I would cover all characteristics of all the subjects that I was wanted to photograph. So I wanted to cover all generations, from children all the way to elderly people. The eldest person was an 80-year-old woman. So I covered um, also all genders. I wanted men and women. I wanted to make sure that all generations were covered because it was, in fact, a a very structured research project before I actually went ahead with the photographs. That brings me to your research, Stefano. What is it that you were hoping to accomplish with your research? 
So my intention was to be a witness and to bring forward attention to the weakest of the disabilities and to demonstrate that the way the social distancing was proposed was not effective to all disabilities. I wanted to demonstrate that, in fact, it didn't work for the most fragile of the disabilities. Mm-hmm. Was part of what you were trying to do also incorporating the voices of people with disabilities and getting them to tell you what this social distancing was like for them? So, of course, in the end, my purpose was to take photographs of the subjects. So, initially, I understood that it wasn't enough only just to tell their story. So, that's why each one of the stories, each one of the portraits is accompanied by a story. I wanted to make sure that they had the voice to explain and let the rest of us know what it was like for them to live during the social distancing. Some people might find it a bit strange to take photographs of people who are blind or partially sighted because the people who are in the photographs wouldn't be able to see the pictures or see themselves in the pictures. Did you think about exploring another medium, maybe doing it over audio, for instance? So this is a beautiful question, and it is a beautiful question because it brings me to my final uh, intention with this project, which is actually to put together a book that in some way is going to be useful uh, with the combination of other media for the non seeing people. So I, we had already discussed this project with some colleagues that helped me work on this uh, report. And that is the intention in the end is to produce a book that will, like I said, um, is going to be useful for the non-seeing, non-sighted. While I was taking the pictures, while I was going through the project, I was thinking that the intention was to finally bring this forward as a means to let the rest of us know what it means to suffer from a pathology or have some kind of impediment. So I was missing a connection between them, the non, um, non-sided people, and us, the ones that don't suffer from a, such a pathology. Mm. That's an interesting observation. Can you tell us if you also made an effort to put in descriptions of your photographs so that even if people who are visually impaired can't see the actual pictures, they know what's in the pictures? Yes, definitely. So the way it worked is that first I spoke to them on the phone. So I had some interviews and that's, and this was during the lockdown and I explained to them, to each one of them, how the project was going to come about. And then the project per se started on May 8th. And at that time we were out of the lockdown. So at that time I would meet with each one of them and I would try to relay or have them understand how the portrait was going to be taken. And for those that were just impaired in their sight, I also brought some other photographs so that they possibly could see the other pictures that I had already taken, other photographs I had taken. And therefore, this was kind of creating a union between all of them, between those that I had already visited and the ones that I was visiting. And when you were taking your photographs, did you ask your participants to pose or did you just tell them to go about their day-to-day lives and you would take pictures when you felt there was an opportune moment? 
So it really depended on each situation. Now, going on memory, I remember when I was taking the photographs of the two boys, Francesco and Lorenzo, they were singing while I was taking the photographs. But there were instances where there was this beautiful uh, sunlight um, that was coming through, and then I would eventually have to ask them to stop so that I could take the picture, but they were going ahead with their singing. Now, there was another instance with Marco. Again, I remember there was a very particular light. It was perfect. It framed his face. And so I would ask him in that case to pose. So it really depended on every situation. I want to ask you a little bit about the actual photographs. You've described them a little bit. Tell us about some of the people that you end up photographing and the different places that you visited. Uh, so for easiness and for just uh, mobility of myself and distance between myself and the people that I was photographing, so the majority of them are located in Rome or in the surrounding areas. I just wanted to make sure that it wasn't too much traveling time and that it was easy for me to move to see them and uh, so that we would have the, the, the report um, ready in time. Now, I'm not sure if that answers your question. Mm. Tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that the blind and partially sighted community in and around Rome was facing during the pandemic. So the experiences were really varied uh, depending on each one of the people that I worked with. So, for example, in the case of Lucilla, she, uh, she walks around the city with a guide dog. So for her, she found that the lack of the noises of the traffic of the city made it really difficult for her to navigate because then she was missing those noises. And every time she needed to go outside and and, you know, take her dog out to do its needs, then she experienced that difficulty with the lack of noises in a city like Rome. Yet there are people that I know who have guide dogs, and they complain that when they're in the street, people like to pet the guide dog. Did some of your participants with guide dogs find that fewer people were bothering them because they were afraid of contamination? So I was actually moved uh, very much by a comment from Arianna. She also was a person that had a guide dog to help her. And she was actually saying that how sorry she was about the fact that people are now so distanced that avoid the contact. And even though, yes, it's true, the guide dog is a working dog and petting the dog or, or having contact with the dog could eventually become even a hazard. She felt, on the other hand, that when they most needed help, the people were scared of coming close because of the fear of, of contagion. So, you know, you can find yourself that a key falls to the ground or you're doing your grocery shopping, you actually need additional help. And she was very sad about the fact that in that period, people were actually more apart than before. You know, you mentioned two young boys in the interview, Francesco and Lorenzo. What was it like for them being blind and staying home from school during the lockdown? Did they and their families have any challenges? 
So this, uh, they were encountering many, many difficulties. In fact, I had a chance to interview their mother and their grandmother before the actual photographs, and they were explaining to me how, you know, they they had become not only parents, but also the substitute supporting teacher, right? So that changed their life. That changed their life to becoming teachers. It changed their life to having to even set aside their work, their own personal activities in order to support the boys. And in particular, in the case of Francesco and Lorenzo, they were born six months premature. So they brought additional issues, not only blindness, but it was very, very important, therefore, for them to be in a formal setting of education. So missing out on those three months of formal education was a very, very dangerous risk. So it was very difficult for them. In another photograph, you are with a young woman in a care home who's really quite heartbroken because she has no visitors during the lockdown. Tell us a little more about that. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I just want to clarify because I want to make sure I know which uh, photograph you're talking about. Is it an elderly woman? It was the woman um, that you were going to take out for ice cream, but you realized that that wasn't going to be possible. So that is my aunt, Angelina, that you're referring to. And yeah, I go visit her generally two to three times a year. She lives just outside Rome in a very beautiful seaside town called Santa Marinella. So whenever I used to go visit her before, I would take her out, walk around. We'd even go down to the shoreline. And for her to breathe in the fresh air of the sea, you know, that, that would make that day very, very special. So on the occasion that I visited her, you know, I first made sure that I was safe, you know, that I didn't, I was not carrying the disease. But as soon as I told her that I couldn't take her out, I heard immediately the change in the tone of her voice and how disappointed and sad she became that I wasn't going to be able to take her out because I said, you know, it's dangerous. It's even dangerous that I'm here to see you. So she was sad about that. You've obviously had a lot of interaction with your aunt Angelina, but through this project, you've met blind and partially sighted people with a lot of different experiences. How has this project, the report that you wrote, the photographs that you took, changed you as a person and changed you as a photographer? So this was a very testing experience for me. Um, you know, it definitely sensitized me to what it is to live with a disability, uh, to try to understand what it is to live in those people's shoes, although I think that we will never really be able to understand it. So it definitely has changed me. You know, I, I, was, I came to know some very extreme experiences that I wasn't aware of throughout the pandemic the lockdown and with every project that I do because I do generally work on social projects you learn something I learn something from each and every one of the people that I worked with so I believe it made me a richer person in spirit and I am very very happy to have been the witness kind of carrying the flag for the, being the voice of the um, of the impaired sight um, people because there are there was no one else that did this 
uh, brought their voice in Italy or in the world. I believe that I was the first to do that. So I'm, I was very, very proud of, of this experience. That's right. I think you were the first to do something like this. Uh, I remember thinking, oh, I wish I had thought to do something of this nature myself. Are you hoping that people who are fully sighted will gain some appreciation and have some empathy for the challenges faced by people with disabilities, people who are blind, for instance, not just during the pandemic, but just on a daily basis? Well, I definitely hope so. I hope that this was like a first building block towards creating respect towards others with any kind of disability. We need to educate, you know, we need to sensitize other people towards any broader kind of disability. So I hope that this is going to be the future of what I brought um, with this project. I really liked what you said about bearing witness, and we are all bearing witness to a very unique moment in history. Are you hopeful that in the future, when we look back on the pandemic, your work will be part of telling the story of the pandemic, that the experiences of people with disabilities will not be left out of the recounting of the world's experience of COVID-19? This is also another beautiful question, and it uh, summarizes all of my hope. I am, in fact, continuing to bring this project forward, not only to newspapers and uh, written material, but also to associations, to schools, so that it can be used in, as a form of education, because we need to educate people. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us today, and thank you for all your work on behalf of the community. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for appreciating my work. That was Italian visual artist and photographer Stefano Sprelli. He joined us from Rome, Italy, to talk about some of his photographs of people who are blind or partially sighted during the lockdown in Italy. If you missed any of my conversation with Stefano, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. And don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe while you're there. Such a wonderful idea. I set it off the top of the program, and I'll reiterate what a completely groundbreaking idea it is to photograph people with disabilities during the pandemic. So that when we look back at this time, we remember that people with disabilities were there, they had unique challenges and unique opportunities to make a difference. I hope you will check out the podcast, as I said, and also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse, where I will have some additional remarks as well. There are a lot of people I want to thank for today's program. It was truly a team effort. I want to thank Stefano Sprelli for being the guest on the program. Thanks also go out to Francesco Yodato, who was our translator, and to JJ Hunt from the podcast Talk Description to Me for providing some descriptions of the photographs we listened to off the top of the program. The technical producer for The Pulse today was Sam Robinson. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Most of all, thank you for listening. I hope you'll reach out to us with any feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can write to feedback at ami.ca or you can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me at Joita Gupta. Thanks a lot for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.